Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Thursday. Today, we're going to be talking with Gerard Martinez. It's that time of year again. USC football recruiting just days away from National Signing Day, and the countdown is on. Crazy stuff happens. It's like Christmas and New Year's and Kwanzaa all wrapped up into one. So crazy signing day, February 3rd. We're going to talk with Gerard Martinez. Follow him on Twitter at GMart Live, all about USC football recruiting. And there's a ton of questions. You guys have sent in a whole bunch of questions, obviously, leading up to signing day. So if you want to send us a question for another show, podcast at uscfootball.com. That's our email address. Or you can give us a call at 641-715-3900, extension 816-646. Leave a voicemail that way. Or you can go to our website, peristylepodcast.com. Click on the left side of the page. You can leave a voicemail there. Of course, if you want to subscribe, if you want to leave some positive feedback, five-star rating is always nice. Go to paris, go to itunes.com slash peristylepodcast. That's itunes.com slash peristylepodcast. Let's bring in... The man of the hour. No one knows more about USC football recruiting than Gerard Martinez. What's up, Gerard? How you doing? <laughs> yeah, like you guys were sick of that song already from the Geico commercials. Yes, it's the final <laughs> countdown. There you go. It is the final countdown, Gerard. Are you? Uh, I mean, and this is kind of a. It's this is like a you know weird day. You know, uh, leading up, you know, what are five or six days, whatever, till signing day. But it just starts with the official visit weekend. And uh, obviously the last few days before signing day, it gets a little crazy. It gets a little crazy. And this is kind of the calm before the storm. I mean, USC right now has, you know, six. We're saying right now looks like spots, maybe seven. And it looks like it's going to come down to signing day, which is sort of an uneasy feeling, I think, for Trojan fans. And I can see it on the peristyle, and I can understand it as well. You, you don't necessarily want to have that many open spots coming up to signing day, not if you're USC and you've got a new coach and you're coming off your bowl loss and you're coming off a loss in the Pac-12 championship game. You don't have a ton of momentum on the recruiting trail. If you're Alabama, sure, you can have 10 spots open. I mean, you're going to get a great class no matter what. So right now USC is working the recruiting trail. Uh, this is really the first time this week was the first week that USC had a full-time staff on the road recruiting for them, meaning all of their full-time coaches, the guys that you know they've hired that are going to be the coaches for next season, are actually on the road recruiting. Now, you only get a certain number. I think it's actually seven. Somebody told me nine, but I think it's seven uh, assistant coaches can be on the road at one time unless that rule has changed. And so they actually do have a full allotment of guys that are full-time coaches on the road. They had previously for the past two months, plus really because – since Steve Sarkeesian was fired, uh, they really haven't had all their full allotment on the road recruiting. Most of those guys have been uh, administrative assistants, grad assistants. Um, you know, Kenichi Odizi, the new defensive line coach at that point, was an assistant trainer. Uh, so this is really the first week USC's been on the road and they've been recruiting with a full-time staff. Well, I guess we should probably just jump into questions. Is that? Uh, I mean, I think we'll cover most of the topics with all the questions we have. You cool with that? Yeah, yeah, let's, yeah, cause we're, we're there's gonna be some redundancy here, I know, with the questions. Okay. And, uh, you know, we'll try to touch on everything, like you said. Um, let's go to George from Bell, California. 
Uh, does USC fill the 20 scholarships available for the class of 2016? They're currently at 13 commits. And does USC land any more defensive tackles? Thanks and fight on, George from Bell. A great question in the segue, just talking about USC having, you know, six, seven spots available coming up towards signing day. I think previously, without the decommitment of Keyshawn Camp, I want to say yes. I think they get there, and I think they get the 20. That's really the one guy, and there may be two guys there that are floating around that there's spots that you kind of wonder if USC putting their eggs in a lot of baskets of guys that have holes in their baskets, meaning a guy like Rashad Gary, number one player in the country, uh, who officially visited two weeks ago, had a really good official visit. But we still hear Michigan is the team to beat. It just seems like Michigan, everything kind of points in that direction. I think USC has a shot. I think there's that shot that maybe he looks at the playing time. USC loses three starters off the defensive line this past year. Yes, they recruited a good class the year before, but a guy like Rashawn Gary is not going to be scared away by any of those players. And so you kind of say, okay, big city kid coming out here. Mom loved the visit. Mom was with him on the visit and really talked well about academics and other other things. Um, so you feel like, you know, there's a lot of talk like it was a free vacation, free trip. I get that. I understand how people could take that. But I also think that there is some legitimate interest in USC just because of the background of him and what he's used to. And Los Angeles saying that, I think it's one of those years where USC is just not in the position to kind of close with one of those guys. And again, that's sort of why I'm on the fence a little bit as to whether they're going to get this 20 or not. They've got some guys they're working on on the low. Um, they've got a skilled player and a lineman that they feel confident about that they can get committed that are, that are pretty, pretty high name players. Uh, but you know, again, is it going to be that year where those kids are just a little uncertain about where USC is as a program, the stability of the program, um, new coaching staff? Those things tend to hurt you on the recruiting trail and especially out of state. So if you're putting eggs in those baskets and you're waiting on those kids, it's, it's a little bit sketchy right now. So, um, I, I could make an argument for, I can make an argument against them getting 20. Uh, certainly, I think with this transition of the staff, as I said before, they're going to take a step back in recruiting in terms of their ranking. Um, I don't foresee it being a top 10 class. Granted, I think if they close with the guys that they're kind of hoping that they get, it'll be close to it. It'll be close to it. It's, it's only going to be a 20 class. And again, I'm, you know, people always ask me about rankings and how they tally the rankings and the points. I really don't know. I didn't know, <laughs> I didn't know when we were at a previous network. I don't know now, quite frankly, with rankings. To me, I look at things in a vacuum and how they affect USC, how that particular commit or signing impacts USC. I think national analysts are looking at a kid just overall and trying to pit him against other players, but that doesn't take into account fit and, and how that player fits in with USC. Uh, a good example of a kid like that, would be Lakey Fatu, uh, 6'6", 280-pound defensive lineman from Harriman, Utah. He's a three-star that just officially visited USC this past weekend. Now, that's a guy that's a three-star uh, based on just potential and kind of how he played and just how he is as a defensive lineman stacking up to the other defensive lineman in this class. But for USC... I would rank him a lot higher. I think he's a bigger need. I think he's a guy that in the defense that they're going to be running in that kind of 5-2, quasi 3-4 that they're going to be running, oh, man, that's a guy that could really, really be a great player. So, you know, I would rank him higher. I would think that that's a guy that, you know, should be looked at as more valuable maybe to USC than he would be in other schemes and other programs. Um, so that's always something that you kind of have to take into uh, account is 
the need factor and the fit factor. And so as far as where USC ranks, I'm, I'm taking a real guess as to they're probably not going to be top 10. Um, but, you know, if they land everybody that they want, and Fatu's one of those guys, um, Connor Murphy, uh, the 6'7", 250-pound defensive end, defensive tackle from Phoenix, Arizona is another guy. Uh, you know, Rashawn Gary's a guy that USC obviously feels that they have a chance somewhat because they went and they visited him in home just this past week, actually Wednesday, with Clay Helton and new defensive line coach Kenichi Odizi. So they're obviously feeling like they have some traction in that recruitment, uh, but, you know, whether they land those guys or not, it remains to be seen. All right, let's move on. We have a question from TD. He says, and this might be like a, a refer to the war room tomorrow, Gerard thing, but we'll see what you say. Where were the coaches on the road this week? Hopefully they were all closing. And should we anticipate any surprise visitors this weekend? Understand if you can't divulge sensitive in- info. Thanks for fight on from TD. There very much could be a surprise visitor this weekend. And Ooh. I can't divulge names. I'm not even 100% sure about it right now. Um, and as far as where they were visiting, there's something along those lines as well that kind of has to be kept quiet. Probably not even war room. I'll see kind of what we can divulge and what we can't. Uh, but, uh, they were, they were in to see Velas Jones, uh, actually, um, this past week following up on his recommitment. Um, an interesting story and maybe some of our listeners have, have followed it. I'm sure most of them have. Maybe some of them haven't. Uh, Velas Jones was committed to USC, um, since, uh, really, you know, the spring and committed sight unseen came to the Rising Stars camp, was his first time actually on campus, had wavered really from that point on and gone back and forth. And a lot of people felt like he was just a decommitment waiting to happen. Now, we reported on USC side of things, there was still confidence there. And once T. Martin was named offensive coordinator, the confidence grew, mainly because T. Martin was his lead recruiter. T. Martin had a great relationship with his family. His family's originally from Mobile, Alabama. So there was a great connection uh, with T. Martin and it looked like, you know, after his official visit, although it sort of went quiet for a little bit, was hearing a lot that, you know, USC was going to get him, he was going to hold on to him. And then, of course, a week later, he announces on Twitter that he's committed to Oklahoma. Now, not even 24 hours later, he ends up putting up another Twitter message that says that he's committed to USC. Now, at that point, a lot of people thought, well, maybe somebody hacked his Twitter profile which wouldn't be a total surprise, stuff like that happens now and again. But then he went and subsequently deleted everything on his timeline about Oklahoma. So painstakingly, we tried to get somebody from his camp on the phone to go on record and say, okay, where do you stand with USC? I mean, we understand there's a lot of stuff that's gone on, social media, but at this point people are even questioning whether that's realistic or not. And so we're able to track down a few different sources that were telling us, yeah, he's recommitted to USC. Uh, he's talked to uh, Oklahoma and decommitted from them and told them that he apologized, that, you know, he just had a change of heart. He knew moments after he had put that, uh, that, that tweet out that he was committed to Oklahoma, that he'd made a mistake. And so we finally got his uncle, Kyle, on the phone who, graciously kind of cleared everything up for us and really went into detail just about his recruitment and sort of how everything played out. And just, you know, he made that quick mistake that he felt like, you know, Oklahoma was the school for him and then started really thinking it through more and felt like, you know what, I'm kind of going towards something that, from what I understand, he just felt like that was more of a comfortable situation, uh, a stable situation, 
but he doesn't necessarily want that for himself. He wants to be a catalyst. He wants to go out there and blaze his own trail and looking at yeah, that I think he felt like, you know what, I can go to USC and, and I can be a difference maker. Maybe I'm not going to play as quickly as I would at Oklahoma, but I'm going to be able to go in there and be a small-town Alabama kid that nobody's really seen before. And I'm, and I'm a lot different than the receivers that USC already has in this class. So it was one of those things that, you know, a lot of our listeners, they think about the decisions they made when they were younger and, oh, man, this kid's really screwed up. I can't believe he made that decision. It's that mistake and to all those people and he needs to think about it. But truth be told, you and I, Ryan, we didn't have Twitter when we were growing up, and there's probably things that we could have put out on Twitter that we regretted within a 24-hour period yes. and wanted to delete. And so this is a new era, the social media. And with Twitter specifically, it's a double-edged sword. It's, it's, a, it's a good thing because recruits do have a voice that they can directly put out there to the fans and to the media and to people that they want to contact and they want to communicate with. But at the same time, if you make a mistake and you say something that you regret or, or, or maybe it just doesn't feel like what you want to say hours later, too bad. It's out there to the world. The moment you press send, it's out there to millions of people. And so it's a different era, and I think the recruits got to sort of understand that as they go forward that, uh, you know, Twitter can be your friend. It can be your worst enemy as well. Um, so, you know, we've dealt with that, and that was a guy that USC went in. Clay Helton had already been in home, actually, um, not last week, but I think the week before. So he's already had his in-home visit with Velas Jones. It was T. Martin that actually followed up uh, this past week, I think, with a couple of other uh, offensive uh, administrative assistants. Um, and um, the offensive line coach, you know, Callaway is actually down south, too. So he probably was on an in-home visit as well. Um, so USC's been bopping around. They've been seeing some guys. Uh, that was really the last commit that they had their in-home visit with. Like I said before, Rashawn Gary is another guy that they were in-home with. Um, they went in-home with Kazir White this past week. That's a guy that's sort of floating around out there, another big fish, uh, the 6'2", 200-pound safety from Lackawanna College in Pennsylvania. He's a guy that uh, officially visited USC two weeks ago, kind of came out of left field. That offer came just after New Year. So not a guy that USC fans really know a lot about, and he's not one of those guys that has a lot of sort of you know, sub storylines and, and you have the backstory and the, the, the fans kind of start to build up. Okay. He's going to be this kind of guy. When you get these guys that get offered so late in the process, everybody is trying to figure out who, who they are. I mean, I'm trying to figure out who they are. <laughs> and so, cause you're white. He's a guy that uh, is Kevin White's brother, uh, the, the, the wide receiver for the Chicago Bears who played at West Virginia. Uh, cause you're also has another brother that's at West Virginia right now. The interesting thing about him is that this past weekend, he was supposed to be on campus at Penn State. Now, a lot of people told me when he came on his official visit to USC that really it looked like it was going to be between Penn State and USC. So the fact that he missed his visit is interesting. It's interesting to see where he goes this weekend as well. Does he go to West Virginia as previously planned, or does he cancel that visit and end up at Penn State? We're going to wait and see what happens. But I think with him, he's a guy that USC really needs because – the defensive back class right now, you're looking at uh, really one commit, C.J. Plourd, who's already committed and already signed with USC. And then you kind of got this, okay, Jack Jones is another guy that's an obvious guy that you want. Um, USC's kind of been messing around with Brandon Burton, the other defensive back from Sarah High School, but he looks like a UCLA lean still. There's really not a lot of names out there. Uh, Lamar Jackson from Outgrow, the four-star safety, uh, is, is really kind of out of it with 
at USC right now. Seems like that was a guy that, with the coaching transition, they really sort of dropped the ball on a little bit. I think the lack of communication, the lack of having a defensive back coach for as long as they did, the fact that they had Keith Hayward recruited him, then Keith Hayward gets fired, then they have Peter Sherman basically taking up that recruitment, and then he leaves, really left a dent in that recruitment, and right now it looks like it's going to be more Nebraska ASU, uh, so Kazir White becomes that much more important, um, we're just going to have to see if USC can close on him, he's another guy that you kind of thought maybe this week something might happen, you thought after his official visit there might be an announcement, just at least decommit from West Virginia, but at this point he's gone dark and we really haven't heard anything either way about whether he's going to decommit or make an announcement anytime soon. So we're going to have to wait and see what happens with him. But another guy that USC was in home with, Ronnie Bradford, Clay Helton this week. Um, I, my apologies to JD and DC because that was his question about Kazir White and you just went off on him. So, uh, but luckily, because our buddy JD and DC loves to send in questions on voicemail. So he had another voicemail question. So we're going to play that one for you, Gerard. Here you go. JD's from DC. Couple of recruiting questions for Gerard GM. Uh, is USC still on to Chuchuolo? It seems to me he'd be a great option to close out the class on signing day if we find ourselves one uh, person short. Uh, and also, aren't you impressed that kind of very quietly, Jim Harbaugh has in Michigan have emerged as USC's biggest competition uh, in recruiting this season, particularly if we talk about. Uh, the closing list uh, heading into National Signing Day. Uh, it seems to me Michigan, with its uh, strong academics, is making a very similar pitch to USC. He's been more aggressive than even Notre Dame in terms of coming in from out of state. Uh, and uh, on closing day, it seems to me we're going to be much more influenced by how Harbaugh closes than we are by how Jim Moore or any other conference competitor closes. Uh, yeah, I think with Michigan, that's a little overblown. First of all, USC and Michigan right now are just different programs. I mean, obviously, like I said before, USC doesn't have that momentum. You know, they don't have the new coaching staff with the big season that they've sort of established themselves as a program on the rise. There's still just a lot of questions with USC. As far as Michigan coming into California and taking a bunch of guys, that's not happening either. Um, while, you know, Devin Asiasi and Boss Tagaloa had good visits here this past weekend, uh, Lamar Jackson had Michigan up there for a while, I don't think they're closing with any of those guys. Um, Jordan Elliott was a guy that USC was recruiting for a while that committed to Michigan that's just decommitted from Michigan. So there's a lot of those kind of situations where, yes, they're crossing paths, and USC crossed paths with Alabama a lot, too, on the recruiting trail. But are they actually competing with Michigan for those kids? Michigan's really going into the, the, the northeast and getting a lot of guys. That's sort of where they pinned, um, I think, their biggest out-of-state names and their biggest out-of-state gets, Sean Gary, uh, Kareem Walker, uh, those kind of guys from the Northeast or really New Jersey area, that's where they're trying to get a lot of guys from. And then maybe getting a guy here or there from Florida, fucking in down the South, and maybe a guy here and there from California. At this point, though, it's not really there yet. It really hasn't developed. Uh, now, Chuchu Aloya, who I don't know who that is, Chuchu Maku, I think you're talking about Chacho, <laughs> you know, from uh, Centennial High School, the safety. Uh, Chacho is a guy that USC has talked with a little bit in the past few months. Um, as of now, it doesn't look like a guy that they're going to move on. 
perhaps it's a guy that, you know, really late in the game they could send up a letter of intent to. He's a good football player. He's not a bad football player. He's actually a very good football player. He's not the most athletic safety in the world. He's not a guy that's going to blow you away with his 40 or blow you away uh, with his measurables. And I think that's pretty much what some schools have kind of shied away from him um, and, and not been on him maybe as hard as they should be. But a good football player, a guy that you watch um, at camps and you watch just during game days, and he makes plays. Uh, so we'll see what happens with Chacho. Um, I think it's one of those things that, yeah, it would be kind of a last-minute thing. Somebody talked about him maybe blue-shirting because he had not taken an official visit and he not got an in-home visit. They don't, if they're taking Chacho Aloha, it's not because they need to blue-shirt him. They, they could probably just offer him a scholarship. If they're offering him anything, uh, it's a regular scholarship and it's a signing day thing and hoping, hey, you know, he's a big FC fan, grew up, and they could get him at the last minute. All right. Uh, thanks for that one. Let's go. We're going to go down south, Gerard. He said, what's good, Ryan? Brian from Beham checking in. I see where Rashawn Gary is headed to Clemson this weekend and possibly Alabama. Do you think Kenichi Udeze will be able to sneak out one last in-home visit with him? That's if he hasn't done so already. What are the other defensive linemen you see SC grabbing for National Signing Day? We'll see. I don't know. Uh, it's one of those things that um, I've been suspicious of Jordan Elliott's recruitment for a while now. <laughs> I've been suspicious of sort of how things play out with him since he was at the Rising Stars camp. And I can't say definitively that he's a guy that will give USC another look. Um, I was sort of told about a month ago that USC probably wasn't going to go down that road just because Jordan Elliott had sort of wavered back and forth. Um, and and obviously that's a guy that you really, if you're trying to get him on signing day, considering these commitments at like four different schools, uh, you really got to cross your fingers that, you know, he doesn't stand you up and end up at Texas. A lot of people think he's just going to end up at Texas. Um, he's not going to go far from mom. And so that would sort of be the play there. And, again, it'd be one of those baskets you're putting a lot of eggs in that's got a hole in it, and you're just hoping all your eggs just don't go fall through that hole. Um, so that that's sort of where I stand on that. I, I sort of don't want to say never, though, because it is one of those things that he's a guy that I know loves L.A., uh, had been here before unofficially. He's the kind of kid that personality-wise would fit in at USC. Um, and he's a defensive tackle, and he's a very good defensive tackle. He was a guy that I talked about and, and really sort of raved about uh, after the U.S. Army All-American game. You know, we watched him for the West team, and he was very dominant. He was a very skilled big man. He's a guy that's 300-plus pounds, and he moves incredibly well, very quick feet, very light feet, uses his hands well. Um, definitely a guy that uh, is a little more than a plugger. He's a guy that can get upfield. He can run down plays from the backside. Uh, so he's got some pass rushing skills. So it's a guy that, you know, is at a great neat position. And certainly, I know people are connected the dots out there with Keyshawn Camp decommitting and then Jordan Elliott uh, decommitting also. They know each other from the camp, uh, the Rising Stars camp. And so there's a little bit of a connection there that would make you think, okay, if, uh, you know, Keyshawn maybe heard about that and decided, hey, I want to go somewhere else, or USC felt like, hey, if we're going to get Jordan Elliott, you know, we don't necessarily know Keyshawn Camp so much. We'll see what happens. I, I'm I'm very skeptical about all that stuff. That's the sort of ninja stuff that happens at this time of year. But, again, if USC was coming off 11 wins, you'd be a little more optimistic about the chances of closing a deal like this down the stretch. But because you're coming off a bowl loss and you're coming off uh, the championship uh, loss to Stanford, it makes it more unlikely. It's just one of those things that 
it's much harder to do, especially with the out-of-state guys. All right, let's go to Jim. That was uh, Brian in Birmingham, by the way, if you don't know what Beham is. Um, he loves to, to write in. We love Brian. Jim wants to know, he said, first of all, I really enjoyed the recruiting podcast with uh, Gerald. He means you, Gerard. I love that. Gerald Martinez. <laughs> Gerald Martinez. Uh, it's Gerard. People say Gerald all the time. It's Gerard, just so you know. He said, of course. And then he mentions another network I will not mention. But he says, of course, they try, but they are capital B, capital A, capital D. So he's not impressed with someone else's uh, efforts on recruiting podcasts. So we'll appreciate that, Jim. But he said, are there any kids that could be blue shirts this year? I forget all the rules. I think one is you can't have an in-home visit. And now that Vellis is gone, this was, of course, during the brief time when he was not a commit to USC. Do we have eight left with Dixon being arrested? Uh, thanks from Jim. So that was, that was a short question, but it's kind of all over the place, Gerard. Yeah, well, Bryce Dixon wasn't being counted towards the class anyway, so he doesn't matter. Whatever whatever happens to him doesn't matter. Um, I don't think USC is going to need to blue shirt anybody in this class. Uh, two reasons. One, I think they're going to fight to get to that 20 that they need in this class just with the guys that they're recruiting. Uh, and two, I don't think you really want to take a bunch of rides away from 2017 when that is a stronger class than the 2016 class. So, you know, if you're blue shirting, obviously you're counting forward and you're taking players away from that allotted mount in 2017. I think 2017 is a deeper class. You're going to want to take more players in that class than this class. So I'd say no. All right. Um, that was good. Yeah, and thanks for the, the props there on the podcast. Now, you talked about Velas Jones already. Terrian wanted to know, um, with, what's your current thinking with Velas Jones, uh, including three-star rating and his commitment issues, changes? Uh, thanks very much for the great work from Terrian. Well, truth be told, he only decommitted, like you said, for t- under 24 hours, and it was Oklahoma, and he switched back. And so uh, while he's wavered, he hasn't wavered in the classical sense where you have a kid that actually reopens his recruitment, decommits, takes his visits, and then ends up committing maybe to another school and then going back and forth on other schools. Uh, Ronald Jones, if you remember, uh, decommitted from Oklahoma State and then committed to USC. Uh, it's becoming so common nowadays it used to be more of a red flag. Now, granted, I still think with a guy like Jordan Elliott, that's still something that you have to look at and you have to question when you've committed to, I think, four different schools. That's certainly something that you wonder, is this kid ever going to have to be satisfied and be certain about anything? You know, even when you get to the school, are you going to be able to make a decision and go with it? Um, there's probably some questions about personality traits and and how you can be indecisive and go back and forth and whether you really have the commitment for anything. And obviously with football and college football, the sacrifice and commitment that has to be made towards working out and getting better, watching film, and those things can be questioned. Uh, but I think with Velas Jones, there's really not so many of those questions. It, it's really what he does going forward and whether, you know, he's just going to go through the process and shut it down and stick with USC. I, I would say after talking with his, this uncle for, I don't know, a half an hour, 45 minutes, uh, yeah, I think he's pretty solid with USC. I think that, um, you know, he had that idea that maybe Oklahoma was just a safer pick for him. Um, he has, you know, family in Norman. Uh, I believe his mom went to Oklahoma. I, I've seen that. I, I don't know if that's 100% factual, but he does have a lot of connections to Oklahoma. And I think he felt like Oklahoma, 
they maybe just had easier playing time and would be able to come in for Sterling Shepard, uh, one of the guys that's uh, leaving Oklahoma, and be able to replace him right away. Where you don't necessarily have that at USC. USC is basically bringing back everybody at the receiving core. Um, you're going to sit behind uh, Juju Smith. And a lot of other schools are kind of recruiting against USC right now, saying, look, it, the only guy that gets the ball at USC is Juju Smith. That's <laughs> the only guy that USC throws the ball to. Now, that was the only guy that Cody Kessler threw the ball to. Obviously, with Max Brown and Sam Darnold, that may change. If USC is going to be good offensively, that has to change. You know, Juju Smith's a great player. You want to get him the ball, but you have to have an offense that has more balance in the passing game, and there has to be better reads and progressions by the quarterback position. And so uh, we'll see how that develops. But I think with Vanus Jones, he's a guy that certainly – the reasons he's staying committed, the reasons he recommitted are, are good reasons and obvious reasons, and he sees that he's different than all these other receivers that USC has committed in the 2016 class. He's different than Tyler Bronze. He's different than Michael Pittman. He's different than Joshua Matorbebe. He's faster. I mean, that's really the one thing that stands out. He is faster. He's a guy that ran a legitimate 4-4, high 4-4, low 4-5, um, uh, spark timed at USC during the summer camp. And so... That's a guy that can stretch the field. We saw it at the summer camp, the Rising Stars camp, and we've we've seen him on film. He's a guy that can get downfield and can do some things. And so um, I, I think that's definitely a dynamic that USC will need going forward. And um, he's he's I think he's going to end up at USC. Now, granted, I wouldn't say um, he's certainly not a lock. <laughs> We're not going to talk about locks there with Bayless Jones until he's on campus. Quite frankly, I don't even want to say he'd be a lock. Uh, after he signs his letter of intent, because you know how that goes. Sometimes these kids start to back out of things, and, you know, what are you going to do as a school? Say, no, you got to show up. I mean, that's not good PR. Uh, so we'll say when he gets on campus and he starts playing in fall camp, that he's a lock. Uh, but right now I think he's pretty solid with USC, and I think that uh, his family's behind him. And um, the one thing that his uncle talked about, which was interesting, was that first game against Alabama and Dallas because he's a guy that wasn't really recruited hard by Alabama or Auburn. And there's a chip on his shoulder because of that. And he wants to go and prove them otherwise. And I think he's a guy that is good enough to do it. Three-star, I think for USC, he's higher than that. Quite frankly, though, I would say evaluation-wise, he's better than that. I think, really, the lack of Auburn-Alabama offers really influenced a lot of the analysts in that area. I think they respect Alabama, and they feel like if there's a kid that's in-state and he's a good player, Alabama's going to offer him. Now, granted, there's a lot of reasons why Alabama may not have offered him. I don't know those reasons, but they could have had nothing really to do with Bayless. And so I, I think you kind of have to get away from that, but I can see that being a big influence and really more of a reason why he's not a four-star prospect um, than anything else. We got we got a late question coming in. Uh, we still have more to get to, but I'll, uh, this is a international question, so I want to read it. Uh, Lynn from Samoa, he says, "Why did Clay Helton keep his word to the number one recruit in the country, um, saying that he would announce his defensive coordinator on Wednesday after his visit and then go visit him?" He said, "But in which that never happened. My understanding is that the kid and his mother really liked SC, and it was a game and it was a game changer. Now Clay didn't keep his word. How does that look for us?" And now do we really have a, a shot at him? From Samoa. Well, first we're talking about the defensive line coach, not the defensive coordinator. Clancy Pendergast had already been announced. It was the announcement of the defensive line coach. And technically there was an announcement of sorts with Kenichi Odizi, who he made himself. He put out actually a, a message on Twitter um, saying that he was going to go visit uh, the number one pass rusher in the country and put, uh, I think his Rose Bowl wing out on Twitter 
And so there was a little bit of an announcement, and what went on behind closed doors is different than what went out publicly through USC. I think we had that Kenichi Odizzi was going to be the defensive line coach a, a good two weeks before it was announced yeah. publicly by USC. And I don't know why it took so long, but we were hearing confidently emphatically from several sources, yeah, it's a done deal. He's going to be the defensive line coach. And we were hearing that from recruits also. Yeah, he's going to be the defensive line coach, just like we heard Jenny, Johnny Nansen was going to be the linebacker's coach. So the recruits were hearing it. So while there wasn't a big whoop-de-doo, Kenichi Odizi is a defensive line coach, and quite frankly, I think that's bad for USC. I think they, they, they handled that wrong. They should have put that out there. Friday, when those official visitors were getting in last week, made a big deal about it, talked about his story, had a whole write-up on him. They should have done it. They should have been like that. They should have created some momentum for him on the road recruiting. But they didn't. It just came out. was like, oh, yeah, by the way, guys, Keisha DZ, yeah, USC, D-line coach. Yeah, and that's, that's, <laughs> that's them dropping the ball. And it's not the coaching staff. That's got to be on the administration. That's got to be the people in charge of the PR. They got to get that board out there and make a bigger deal out of it. And so what happened there, I don't know. But we knew about it way before. And I, I think a lot of the recruits knew about it that week. So I doubt seriously that that has any bearing on Rashawn, uh, Gary and, and, you know, his recruitment and, uh, whether he feels that, uh, you know, uh, Clay Helton was upfront with him about it. Clay Helton was pretty upfront with him about it because truth be told, he could have said, you know, hey, this is the guy that I'd really like to have be defensive line coach on his official visit and not announced it, and then that would have been different. But they really kept it open, ended until Kenichi Odizi actually interviewed. Uh, he interviewed, I believe, that Tuesday, uh, Monday or Tuesday, and then it was announced that week after. So it was it was pretty close together where, you know, everything happened. And, and from what we understand and what we've been reporting is that USC actually really wanted to get a defensive line coach from the NFL. And that defensive line coach sort of dragged things out and strung USC along, and then it became apparent that he wasn't coming. And then I think it was one of those things where USC was looking at who they interviewed, who they had a good shot to get in immediately, and Clay Helton felt really good about Kenny Chilindese, wanted to keep him on staff, made him the full-time guy. That's really how it happened. And I think it, it plays out and it makes sense of how it happened. I mean, we were reporting that Terrell Williams was the guy that they were looking at, and interestingly enough, it looked like Terrell Williams was not going to be with the Dolphins because obviously they had had a new coaching staff and they were trying to get Clint Hurt as a defensive line coach from the Chicago Bears. And we were seeing reports that Clint Hurt was going to leave Chicago and go to Miami and be the defensive line coach. So that would obviously mean Terrell Williams would have been out. But at the last minute, Clint Hurt decided to stay with the Bears and then Terrell Williams ended up being retained by the Miami Dolphins. So again, it sort of made sense kind of lined up with what we were hearing, and I think that's how Kenichi Odizi ended up being the guy that got the full-time job. All right, let's move on. Tarek had a question, our buddy. He says, if USC signs Jack Jones, do you see him being used in a similar way to how Adore Jackson has been used by USC so far? He could be. He's not quite the athlete uh, that Adore Jackson is, I think, in the kick return game because he's just not quite as fast. Um, but it's the guy that, yeah, you could see him getting some reps on offense. He's really good both both sides of the ball. I mean, we've seen him play in various national competitions, whether it be camps like the opening or the U.S. Army All-American game. And U.S. Army All-American game in the American Bowl practices, he didn't go both ways. He basically just played corner. Ended up being consensusly uh, considered the best player on the West team that year. I don't know. 
shouldn't say the best player. Shea Patterson was probably the best player. At least from my opinion, I think Shea Patterson was the best player. But Jack-Jack was probably second. Um, but you're looking at him playing at the opening and various other national uh, events against national competition, and he's been impressive on both sides of the ball. So I could see him doing a little both. I don't know to the extent that Adoree Jackson does. Quite frankly, and I said this before, and really, really get that feeling kind of after the season watching him, I think Adoree Jackson should be playing offense. I really do. I, I just don't know that he his skill set is really made for playing defensive back. Now, maybe Clancy Pendergast comes in and Ronnie Bradford, and they, you know, give him some technique, and he just starts to look like a different player. I don't think Adore Jackson is really instinctual on the football field. I think he's a great athlete, but it's not because of his instincts. I think if you look at him versus a guy like maybe Nikel Roby, Nikel Roby's not the athlete that Adore Jackson is, but Nikel Roby's instincts made up for a lot of that, and he was very aggressive. And I think at corner, you really want a quick, aggressive, instinctual player that can play fast twitch. But Adore Jackson is methodically fast. Adore Jackson's athleticism is sort of effortless and smooth. I think that's better for a kick returner, uh, really a kick returner, not a punt returner, and at receiver rather than cornerback. That's my personal opinion. All right. Um, well, we actually have two questions, two more questions that have to do with Michigan and Jim Harbaugh football recruiting. Um, Bernie wanted to know, he read an ESPN article, he said, um, where they had a pretty full class and they were going to drop a couple of long-time commitments. And he says, it just seems that it's calculated and cold to me. One of the recruits that was called said he understands now that this is a business where loyalty seems very one-sided. Um you know, he wanted to know, is, does the NCAA have anything in place to reprimand programs that take advantage of students like this? No, and it does seem cold, and it's one of those things that, you know, time will tell. If the recruiting process itself, meaning the schools and the players, start to recognize what they're doing and kids become more wary of Jim Harbaugh and his word. That's really the only reprimand, that's only the, the only consequences that will come from this. Now, having said that, a kid saying, yes, I understand this is a business and loyalty is one-sided. No, there's really not a lot of loyalty in recruiting in general. I mean, you look at these kids and they recruit uh, or they or they commit many times over and say things, and this is really why you're going towards the end of the process with USC and down the home stretch, and you have to be very nervous if you're a USC fan. And I don't say very nervous because I certainly don't want to, you know, get people all crazed and running into the streets naked and, you know, the sky is falling, but you do have some anxiety there because you know these kids say one thing and do another a lot in recruiting. There's just that aspect of it. And kids lie to us all the time, us being media. You need to get on the phone, you talk to a kid, and they say one thing and they do another. That's just, that's just the way it is. And you get some kids that you realize, okay, this kid's honest, he's straightforward, you know, he's doing what he said he's done. And you have an appreciation for that because there's so many other kids that do one thing, say another, it becomes very annoying, but that is the process. And that's what the coaches deal with as well, because it's sort of bled into the relationships with them. It used to be, well, I could tell this media guy that's calling me on the phone anything. Who cares about him? I'm going to Florida State. And, you know, it doesn't matter if I tell him I'm not going to Florida State and I'm not taking visits or whatever. But then when you start to do it with the coaches, it has further repercussions because, you might see those guys in a draft room one day. <laughs> you might see a coach that you lied to and you made look like a fool because you told him, yeah, coach, I'm coming to your school, and ended up okie-doking him at the end of the recruiting process and ending up at another school. 
So there's that. But in terms of loyalty, don't car- don't cry for me, Argentina. You know, it's like, oh, too bad the kid. You know what? The kids are doing the same thing. Not every kid, and it sucks for the kids that are loyal and they get dropped because there's a bigger fish out there that the, the school wants to sign. But, man, I mean, it's just like the schools themselves. Some schools are loyal. Matt Fink was a guy that USC could have said, eh, we want to run a different system now. we got a different coordinator. Sorry, Matt, you're only a three-star. We want to go after somebody better. But they didn't. They stuck with it. So USC and Clay Helton have shown loyalty to the recruits and to the guys that they've recruited. Uh, but not every school is like that, and vice versa. Not every kid is like that. That is the nature of recruiting, unfortunately. Let's go to Jim. He has another Michigan-related question. I think Jim Harbaugh's got to be doing something right, Gerard, if we have this many questions that have to do with Michigan. So props He's to- sitting in on ethic classes at De La Salle High School, which is absurd. I mean, it's just, these, are, these are antics. You know, I, I, I posted about that just on the Peristyle the other day where uh, Boss Tagaloa tweeted out a picture of him and Jim Harbaugh in ethics class. And, of course, everybody kind of laughed at that because it was ethics class. Right. But my point was, what is he doing sitting in on classes? That That's, that's well, nonsense distractions for all the kids in that classroom. Yeah. I mean, and, and this is kind of along Jim's question. He says, first of all, awesome program, all of them. Keep up the good work. Um, the stuff going on at Michigan, shouldn't the NCAA be doing something about it, like changing the rules? If you let one coach sleep over, doesn't that put pressure on all other head coaches to do the same thing? Seems to me it's like steroids. If you let one athlete do it, all the rest of the athletes will feel pressure to do it just to compete. Is that where we're going with college football? And what's next? Giving them a vacation to the Bahamas and hiring the high school coach of a potential recruit? If they hired his mother as a secretary at Michigan, wouldn't that be against the rules? You're giving favors to someone who is close to the recruit. I'm sure his high school coach is very close to him, too. Why isn't that a recruiting violation? Fight on from Jim. It's not yet, and, and what Jim's saying uh, is, is true, and it's just the NCAA just usually behind the rules. You know, it's like uh, the hackers and the, you know, Norton antivirus people. It's like the hackers got to go out there and find uh, the various vulnerabilities and do those things and create these viruses and do what they do, and then you can build security to stop that. It's hard to build security about things that just haven't happened yet, and that's sort of the NCAA. They're always sort of behind the curve a little bit. It's the coaches that are out there pushing the envelope, and then a couple years later the NCAA goes, you know what, that's probably not best for the student-athlete. We need to create a rule that stops that. You know, first it was text messaging. It was the ways that they could interact on campuses. Um, There was a lot of complaints from head coaches saying that, you know, these – these other head coaches are going on campus and they, you know, it's a spectacle. And, and you're, you're telling me I can't talk to these kids after, you know, I, Nick Saban goes on campus and it becomes a spectacle and everybody wants to talk to him. It's impossible. So then the NCAA steps in and says, well, okay, nobody can go on campus as a head coach anymore. And that's what's going to have to happen with the sleepovers and particularly with the classroom stuff. The sleepover stuff is, again, more about that recruit. And I can see that there's, you know, a bond that can be created there somehow, or, hey, you know, I'm spending time with you and I could be somewhere else, and it's and it's concentrated towards that particular individual. Um, and the parents can say yes or no to it, obviously, and that could be something that schools kind of go, well, hey, they didn't let us sleep over, so they must, they must not like us as much as they like Jimbo. Um, but when you start to involve the class, then you're impacting other students. Then you're impacting everybody else. It doesn't just become about boss Tuggalo. It becomes about everybody that's in that classroom. That's got to stop. That's got to stop, and hopefully NCAA does something about it quickly because then, you know, every coaching staff that goes, oh, hey, you know, can we sit in? 
can we sit on the ethics class too? Yeah. Well, there's like four or five different coaches that are coming in today. They'll, they'll sit in on all his classes. You have coaches standing in the back, coaches fighting over for chairs next to Boss Tugaloa. That's nonsense. So, yeah, there'll be a rule, hopefully, I anticipate, next year coming down the line to, to stop that. But the sleepover thing, I, I don't know what you say. I mean, they could put rules on how long maybe you could stay on an in-home visit. At this point, there are no rules for that. You know, I know UFC's been on in-home visits like all day basically with some kids. You know, they've been just hanging out with them the whole day, kind of keeping other coaching staffs away. Uh, that happens. That's sort of that cat-and-mouse game that schools have with each other, you know, the in-home visits. And, you know, that's why we're always careful about reporting when USC's going into an in-home visit because that's sort of giving everybody a heads up, hey, USC's going to be there. So if there's another school that's there – Maybe they drag their feet. Maybe they say, hey, you know what, let's go out to lunch. And all of a sudden they're with that kid when USC is trying to get in with that kid. A lot of those kind of games are played uh, when we come to this point in the in-home visit process. So, yeah, that, that, that's a possibility that maybe they put some, some, some limits, some time limits. Of course, who's going to enforce that? You know, the kid, the parents. Okay, sorry, Coach Harbaugh. It's been six hours. you got to go. <laughs> you know, I don't know. All right, let's go to Stephen Poway. Uh, man, a lot of questions. One of the knocks on Clancy Pendergast used to be that he didn't like to recruit or even that he actually did not recruit at all. Was this true? I understand from reports last week that he only spent a few minutes with visiting recruits, but this could could have been due to this transition to the new position. Do you think he will spend more time on the recruiting trail this time around as defensive coordinator? And is this rumor completely undeserved? Thanks from Stephen Poway. It's not completely under, undeserved, but it has to be qualified a little bit. I don't think Clancy Pendergast is going out there blazing the trail, trying to find diamonds in the rough. He's not that kind of recruiter. He's not going to spend hours on Twitter every day DMing kids. He's the kind of guy that's an NFL guy that's going to be on campus that you bring in, and then he's going to recruit uh, basically by his scheme. And he's going to talk about, hey, this is how we want to use you. This is how we see uh, you fitting into our scheme. These are the players that I've coached. This is the success they've had. This is how we're going to do it. And in in-home visits, I think he also has some weight, too, because he's able to sit down and talk about his experience, talk about the players that he's played, uh, the guys that he's had that have gone on for Pro Bowl success. Um, and, and just, I think, in general, his resume speaks for itself loudly. But like I said, he's not T. Martin. He's not Ed Orgeron. He's not one of these guys that's going out there on the trail and selling it hard. He, you know, the recruiting process is really kind of threefold, I guess you could say. So I usually say it's twofold, but it's kind of becoming threefold. You have your evaluators, and the evaluation is also obviously very important. You have good recruiters, not because they're great. They sales them because they're good evaluators. And they get out there and they see guys and they know what works for their scheme and they know what works for their team. And then you have the guys that are the great salesmen that are able to go out there and just sell, you know, sell ice to Eskimos. Be able to go out there like Ed Erdron and just have the personality, be gregarious, and be able to get people to like you. And that's a whole aspect of recruiting. I think that's not necessarily Clancy Pendergast's um great attribute when it comes to recruiting. I think he's got to be more about evaluating. And then there's kind of like that third sort of part of it, that dimension of it, which is just management and organization, you know, kind of having to manage your recruiting and, and knowing who you go after, when, the strategy part of it. That tends to be more for the recruiting coordinator. Uh, but I think with USC, that's probably the one part that, you know, we talk about them and how they're going to finish the end, uh, this recruiting process, this cycle. It's going to be, 
did they were they able to manage things correctly and organize things correctly when they have all those coaches leave when they did? Because there was just a big blank spot there that went on for like a month or so, like a month and a half, yeah. and you didn't have the right pieces to the puzzle in the right places. And you had Peter Sherman, who was still the recruiting coordinator, but you had, you know, a lot of administrative assistants that normally help back up. If they're called support staff for a reason, they support the full-time coaches, give them good intel, help organize them, make sure they're going on the right plane, make sure they're driving in the right direction to go see some kid at some high school. And those guys all of a sudden were out there. They were the ones driving in the high school. So it's totally changed things. And I think that's really if USC comes up short, if people are disappointed by the recruiting class, it's because that transition and trying to organize and management the recruiting process really just it just had a hiccup because of all the different changes in the ter- coaching turnover. All right. Uh, we got Percy. He says, can you qualify how much the staff turmoil has impacted USC's ability to land top defensive lineman recruits? And is landing Rashawn Gary similar to Lloyd Christmas landing the hottie in Dumb and Dumber? That's from Percy. <laughs> Somewhat. <laughs> so you're saying there's a chance. Um, yeah, it, it, the turnover is hurt, um, certainly. And the fact that you got a guy that's, you know, pretty unproven in, in Kenichi Odizi is going to affect things. The fact that he hasn't built a relationship for two or three years with some of these kids like these other coaches have is a big issue as well. Um, all those things stack up. So in short, yes, yes, it definitely impacts defensive line recruiting. I think it impacts just recruiting in general for old positions. You know, except probably wide receiver because that's the one position where you still have stability and you have a guy that's maybe even created more stability by promoting T. Martin to offensive coordinator. Six losses probably didn't help either. So Six losses doesn't help. (laughs) Uh, Again, you know, you're looking at the years where USC closed with guys like Jarvis Jones or um, some of these these players that were out-of-state guys that sort of were – Okay, you know, they might get them, they might not get them. Not even talking about like Nelson Aguilar, who was really a silent commitment for USC for, for over a year, really, before he ended up signing with USC. We're talking about those guys that come down to the end of the process, um, the Brian Cushings, um, the guys that USC has made inroads in, but you kind of go, man, it could go any way right now. It, it, it could end up being the home school, you know, USC's got to pull it out at the end. You tend to need momentum. You need to have, that thing that excites those recruits that, yeah, I want to go out there and win a national championship. Yeah, I'm going to go out there, and I feel like the coaches that are there right now, majority of them are still going to be there in two years. Um, there's just a lot of instability right now. And I, I think it's funny because in Pat Hayden's mind, probably he felt like he was creating stability by keeping Clay Helton there. But because Clay Helton is still unproven as a head coach, it doesn't really create stability. It's a, it's a false sense of stability and there's not going to be stability there until he wins. Now, granted, if Clay Helton can turn around and he can win a Pac-12 title next year, then you sort of make up for it. Then it, then you create that much more stability because he has been there longer. T. Martin has been there. And all of a sudden, it's it sort of you get some, uh, I don't know how to put this, retro uh, <laughs> retrospect stability from that because then kids are going, yeah, I've known Clay Helton for a long time. And now he's been successful and he's showing that he can win at USC that's good, you know, maybe even more so than bringing in a new head coach and that turns it around quickly. Uh, but you have to win. That That's the only way that you're going to get that. You have to win and you have to show 
Uh, Clay Helton is the guy. He has to prove to everybody that um, that USC made the right pick and, and that they have a coaching staff that is going to be there for a while and, and going to do great things. So we have to just wait and see if that happens. We got Tarek. Uh, just a few more. Tarek wants to know, which early enrollee are you most excited to see at spring practice? Most people are going to say Mike Pittman because Mike Pittman was – uh, so good at the Army All-American game. He was so good his senior year. He's a big receiver, great athlete. Dad, Mike Pittman Sr., who played for the Tampa Bay Bucs as a running back. There's a lot to like there. I'm actually going to say Josh Imator Bebe is kind of interesting to me. I, I, he's very similar to Juju Smith, maybe even a little faster. Um, I want to see how he works out as a receiver, uh, how he is able to, I guess with his skill set, maybe change some things that they do um, as, as, a, as an offense. Because he's a guy that you could put even in the opposite backfield, and I think he could do some things. He's a very versatile athlete, very smart kid. I think he's going to pick up the, the system very quickly. Uh, got his brother there already as a tight end. I'm kind of eager to see what he does. He was a surprise to us at the opening. Really was shocked after watching him there that he, you know, wasn't picked for, you know, the Under Armour All-American game or the, the Army All-American game. I think he got picked for Simper 5 but didn't go. But he's a guy that, you know, at that particular event was dominating. I mean, he hurt his hamstring, was one of the top ten in the spark qualifying, and then, you know, hurt his hamstring in spark qualifying, running the 40, uh, which he ran, like, I think it was like a 4 4 5 or something like that, his first attempt, and then came back the, the next day uh, after hurting his hamstring and was just great. I mean, he was great. He was so physical. Uh, he fought for the ball. He was a guy that just, you know, and those events, even though it's not pads, sometimes receivers don't like going across the middle. He went across the middle over and over again and caught some really tough balls in the end zone for that team. And so he's a guy that I think is going to be very interesting, very unique. Um, we're going to have to see what he, he does. I, I'm interested to see how he develops and progresses physically and ends up being kind of that Juju Smith for the offense going forward. Uh, let's go. Mike in Quartz Hill, he said, given that Pete Carroll was reputed to have under-recruited offensive linemen, what was his rationale for generally signing smaller classes? I don't remember it being talked about much back then, but did they generally have a full team of 85? What I'm driving at is if you're not using all of your scholarships, what would it matter if you have some extra offensive linemen, whether they were players or not? They would have a full 85. And the thing was, in most schools, you don't want to recruit 25 a year. If you're recruiting 25 a year, that means you have a lot of turnover. So you really don't want that. You don't want all your juniors leaving. You don't want to have transfers. You want to get to a place where you're really recruiting 18 to 20 guys a cycle. And that's kind of where Pete Carroll had got it down to. Now, he would have a couple leftover scholarships, usually each class, and he would keep those for walk-ons. Then you'd want to have a guy that was a kicker or a long snapper or sometimes maybe a linebacker or somebody else on the team that was a walk-on that had earned that. And he wanted to have sort of that carry out there dangling for guys that would come in and be walk-ons and say, hey, look it, you know what? There's going to be a scholarship there. Whoever's the best walk-on is going to get it this year. So they, they did get to 85, you know, once signing you know, uh, fall camp started. Uh, but they would leave a couple for each class, usually end up signing – between 18 and 20 guys, and that really is what you want for balance. You don't want too many guys. When you're signing 25 and you got these 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 teams that are signing plus 25, you know, 30 or whatever, that's because you're having a ton of transfers. You got guys um, that are that are leaving early to the draft, and then you got to bring in a bunch of freshmen, which you really don't want. Alabama's doing it because they're getting a bunch of five-star guys, but really, 
it's it's not something that you 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 would rather have those guys that are leaving early to the draft stay. That's what you want, and that's what Pete Carroll always tried for. You know, he wanted to those those juniors that were eligible for the draft to come back next year, and then yeah, you don't have another scholarship for that class, but who cares? You've got you know an All American level guy that's going to return for his senior year. Well, Gerard, uh, I think we're going to end it on that. We actually had a question from Steve in San Diego, um, but it's uh, I think it's more therapeutic for him than anything. He's kind of all over the place asking for saying that Pat Hayden will never resign. Nikias should step down to pressure him. So that's how you can get a new athletic director. He's kind of on and on and then uh, not really happy with the way the coaches were hired. But by the end, he's kind of um, fighting off and trying to find his inner SC Homer. So it's kind of a funny uh, – he becomes a little more of a sunshine pumper towards the end. Um, but good stuff there. So I wanted to uh, – and we'll end the podcast there. And Gerard just thought, you know, did a great job. Thanks for coming on the show. And, uh, you know, it's always good, man. I know it's a crazy time for you. Thanks for having me, and we'll see how everything shakes out towards signing day. Stay tuned to uscfootball.com because we'll have war rooms, we'll have chats, we'll have everything going up on the peristyle as it happens. Uh, but definitely, you know, take your heart medicine because it could be a, <laughs> an up and down roller coaster ride. It could be a little crazy, Gerard. So definitely stay tuned for that. So thanks for coming on, and everyone else, thank you so much for tuning into the Peristyle Podcast. Enjoy the war room on Friday morning, and we will talk to you next time. Welcome back to the show, folks. We're downtown today looking for small business owners. Here's one now. Excuse me, who's handling the marketing for your business? Marketing? My nephew did our Facebook page and the website, but I didn't really see results. I'm just too busy trying to build my business to focus on that stuff. Maybe I have to hire a professional. Well, did you know Circle Marketing's entire team of marketing experts can help you grow your business? Really? But can Circle Marketing handle my social media updates? Yes. New website design? Yep. Online advertising? Sure thing. Make a professional video? Oh, yeah. Help me with marketing strategy? Absolutely. Can they walk my dog, Harriet? Um, no, that's not marketing. Oh, okay. Well, we were on a roll there. So where can I find more information about Circle Marketing? That's easy. Go to circlemarketing.com. When you're ready to hire a professional, full-service marketing company, contact Circle Marketing. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 